Hear now the word of God. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he lay its eternal truths on our hearts this morning. Let's pray together. Uh, Today, O God, we tackle a challenging issue. Would you be with those here today who are currently single, that they would see the good that you would do through them, given the state they are in? And for those here who are not single, would you give us empathy and love and make us supportive to all who are in the body, regardless of the place they may be and the calling that you may have given them? We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Singleness is something that every single human being has experienced, does experience, or will experience. We are born into this world unmarried, and we eventually leave this life Unmarried. Singleness is a normal part of the majority of young people's lives. Uh, in the United States in 2001, the average age of marriage was 29 years old. For good or for ill, that number is increasing. Young people are getting married later and later. Um, the, that means that the average person in the United States today spends the first 29 years of their life as a single person. Uh, Here's another uh, fact, hard to swallow, even if we're not currently single, one of the two of us in each of our marriages will be single again. Uh, In the United States, 46% of adults are unmarried. Here's here's what that tells me, at least in part. When the Bible talks about singleness, it is not talking about some fringe event. It is not talking about some wacky thing that... Uh, 3% of people will go through. Instead, singleness, whether it is temporary, whether it is persistent for someone, is relevant to all of us. Um, While marriage is a good thing, according to Scripture, it's also fleeting. We saw that last week. We should be thankful. We should be content with our marriage status, but it is not who we are. Uh, Our marriage status is not our identity. Uh, Let me give you one more reason why we should care about singleness. As believers, we are all part of the church. And therefore, um, we are part of one another, including those people in the church who are singles. Which means that even if we're not single, singleness is relevant to us. Think of what Paul says in Romans 12, 4. He says, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. 
Singleness is relevant to you, not just because you are or will be single one day, but because as Christians, we are all part of the church and the church has single people in it. Either you are single or you will be single or you are part of the church which has singles in it. And so what I'm trying to do is very comprehensively convince you that this is not a sermon for you to check out of if you're married. Um, This is not one where all the single people are supposed to lean forward and all the married people are supposed to sit back and look at their phones. You can if you've got a Bible app on it. I'm not judging. Um, But today, so we can't be comprehensive, right? Singleness is actually a very big topic, but we can at least try to dip our toes into the water. And why not use three points? It's perfect. Something about the, the, the three-point format. Um, and here they are. First, singleness is a gift. Second, singleness is imperfect. Third, singleness is an expression of the overlap of the ages. Uh, none of those points roll off the tongue, but nonetheless, that's why we write these down. Um, first, we need to talk about the gift of singleness. Um, of all the things that I think are important to think about well, this idea of the gift of singleness is often a joke, right? People will sometimes say things like, well, I'm fairly certain I don't have the gift of singleness. And then, you know, followed by laughter, nervous laughter, usually. Um, it's, it's sort of a joke. It's sort of a deflection. Um, but we need to acknowledge something about marriage. And it's something that we didn't get to last week when we talked about this. There is a sense in which marriage will help us in our battle against sin. And there is a sense in which it will not. And here's what I mean. Uh, In 1 Corinthians, Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul gives this piece of wisdom where he says, he says, I wish that all were as I am. And um, he wishes this because if they can live as singles, then they can devote themselves more to God. So this is Paul really wishing that everybody had the gifting to be able to be single. And this is where we actually get this idea of the gift of singleness. Paul then says, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Now, if you look for it, there's that word there, gift. Each has his own gift from God. You know, when he's talking about this gift, he's not talking about just different character traits about himself. He's not saying that he wishes that everybody could be a man. He's not saying he wishes everybody could be sing- could be from Tarsus. He's talking about his state of singleness. And then he says this in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 7. He says, he says, but if they cannot exercise control, self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So notice really that it is not singleness that is the gift, strictly speaking. It's the self-control which singleness requires that is the gift, right? Um, At least in the sense that Paul's talking about here. According to Paul, his ideal is one group of people who should marry. And though that group of people who should marry is those that he says, cannot exercise self-control. And then in another verse in the same passage, he calls them those who burn with passion. So I, I think about how realistic Paul is. If I could be blunt, Paul recognizes that not everyone can bear the thought of, of living their whole lives single. 
Not everyone can bear the thought of being physically deprived and exercising the self-control that that requires. Not everyone has the level of self-control needed to live as a single. And that's why he says marriage exists for those who burn. What does it mean to burn? Um, To burn doesn't just mean that you have physical desires. To burn is actually a statement about self-control. Paul is not saying that only those who have no sexual desire should be single. Because that kind of person doesn't even need to exercise self-control, right? Somebody who, who doesn't burn doesn't need to have self-control. Um, such a person, if they are on autopilot, they're already single and they're already doing great. Self-control presupposes the need to control. Self-control presupposes that there is something within oneself that continuously drives us off the path and needs to be corrected. Um, I have a, a vehicle that I know it needs to be aligned because as I'm driving down the road, instead of drifting off to the right, which my understanding is that's what cars are supposed to do, instead my car wants me to go to the left. So never let go of the steering wheel in my car. Um, should, it's good advice anyway. Self-control presupposes that this, that this thing is going off in the wrong direction and you need to wrestle it back. You need to wrestle it back in the direction that it's going. And so that is the calling of all single people. Sex outside of marriage is not a biblical option. And so what that means is that anyone who is single must be self-controlled. And I'm highlighting this because I think, I think some people mistakenly believe, well, I do have a, a desire for physical intimacy. So my state of singleness must be a mistake. Well, not necessarily. Actually, Paul envisions your ideal state to be one of self-control, not of complete desirelessness. The fact that you have desire doesn't mean that you're not called to singleness, but your lack of self-control might. Because self-control, think about this. Paul lists self-control as a fruit of the Spirit. So the test of whether you have the gift of singleness, as Jesus speaks of it here and as Paul speaks about it, is whether you have the self-control necessary to remain single. The test is not whether you have physical desire at all. I think that's a very important distinction. When Jesus and Paul speak of singleness, they don't mean that those with the gift feel nothing and desire nothing. Um, We have no reason to believe that Paul had no desire for a wife. We have have every reason to believe that Paul exercised self-control. And that he expected all single Christians to live with self-control. So notice right away that, that for Paul, singleness is not a burden unless one also lacks the requisite self-control. And such a person, Paul says, should earnestly pray for self-control in the meantime and seek to have their desires sanctified by God and seek to cultivate self-control where they are in life. And then at the same time, taking active steps to pursue marriage. Don't worry, I'm not going to give dating advice. I have no advice on dating. Um, But... Think of, what, think of what Paul is saying here. All Christians are called to self-control. Um, Paul very well may have wanted to be married, but he saw his self-control as a gift, 
because it allowed him to, to use another gift that he had, which was the gift of singleness. And he saw singleness as a gift because it was something that he could share with the church. It, it was not only a gift for him, it was a gift for those that he lived to serve. It was a gift for the churches. The gift of singleness is not just a one-way gift that's just for you. It is a gift for those around you. Um, if you are single, God has given you singleness, at least for now, so that you can live for him and live with less distraction than married people. Um, I spoke with somebody last week who spent many of their early years single. And one of the things that really came through in that conversation to me was God used those years to shape me and to give me a desire to serve and to be in the church because I know that I was able to do more than the married people in the church were able to do. I was able to do more than they were able to do. And so one of the things you should know if you are single is that God has given you this so that you can live for other Christians and live for eternal things and have fewer worldly distractions. This is one of the things Paul talks about because Paul says this. He says, his singleness became an occasion to build up the church. Why was it an occasion to build up the church? Well, he says, the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. So, so Paul says a married person has their attention divided between this other person and the Lord, this other person and the church, this other person and their very real and good responsibilities to them. And the fact that there are a whole, is a whole world of people out there also to be served. In the long term, the single person may need to seek out marriage. In fact, um, I think Jesus implies in this passage that the majority of people need to seek out marriage. Right? Jesus says, not everyone can accept this. And I think that's Jesus making an understatement. I think he's saying that most people cannot accept this. This <laughs> idea of a life of singleness. But once again, here's the key to know if you are one of those who burn. If you cannot exercise the sort of self-control that singleness calls for. That is how you know you burn. If you feel that desire but are unmarried, you should see that as a normal state for anyone who is single. That is normal. That's human. The, the question is, how will you bring that desire before the Lord so that he will sanctify your desire? And help you to exercise the gift of singleness that for the time has been given to you. If you are currently single, in at least one sense, you have the gift of singleness. You must have it because you're not married. And God has told you to be content wherever you find yourself. You may not feel that you have the gifting to stay that way in the long term. But the gift of singleness is yours. You should use it. You should enjoy it. You should use it the way God has intended you to. And you may not enjoy the gift. You may not enjoy the experience of the gift. But it's yours. It's yours to share with the church for at least the time being, as long as you have it. You have the gift of singleness. Will you seize upon it? Will you share it? You are able, Paul says, to focus on the Lord during this time. And because of that, whether you enjoy it or not, it is a gift. Now, let me say something else about self-control. Actually, self-control is the sort of topic that as I started to look it up in Scripture, as I started to go down the rabbit hole, I thought, oh, this would be a good article. So maybe at some point you'll hear more from me on this subject because I think it's really important. 
marriage doesn't mean that the call to be self-controlled goes away. And I think some people who are single, especially, you think this when you're single, you think, well, marriage means that I no longer have to be self-controlled anymore. Self-control becomes an afterthought. But here's the thing. The nature of sin is such that if we aren't self-controlled, then even if our mari- even in our marriages, our sin can and will still break out in other ways. Marriage will not make us less selfish. Marriage will not give us more self-control. In fact, what happens is marriage gives us new avenues to express our selfishness. That's a common misunderstanding of marriage, I think, is I struggle with sin right now, but it'll be so much better when I'm married. No, your spouse will not sanctify you. Your spouse will suffer due to your unholiness. Your spouse will suffer if you are not a self-controlled person. Um, You may actually even feel like more of a sinner after you get married. Ask the married people here and talk to them about it later. They'll probably tell you the same thing. Please don't skate past that. Married people, your marriage is not meant to fulfill the role that only Christ and his spirit are meant to fulfill. Right? You should not buy a bicycle and expect you to, it to take you to the moon. And no one should marry thinking that it will take away their sin. That is what, that is what Jesus does. That is Jesus' business. And so, yes, marriage provides the avenue for, for uh, expression of physical desires, but it won't sanctify you. And so if you're single right now, pursue holiness, pursue sanctification. Develop those gifts in your life that you're, if you're going to be married someday, that your spouse will be greatly appreciative that God was in inculcating into you and making part of you. Jesus can sanctify us. In all the ways that our marriage can. So please see singleness as a gift. See it as a gift for yourself. See it as a gift for the church. Second, we need to understand that singleness is imperfect. I need to say this because when we say that singleness is a gift, there's a danger that we might idealize it. There's a danger that we might be tempted to go around telling everyone that they should be single. Um, One of the great crimes of the Roman Catholic Church was the way that they forced ministers to be celibate, whether they had the requisite gifts and the self-control to be celibate or not. Um, They made a mistake of idealizing singleness. They took singleness and they put it up on a pedestal. They took Paul's words here and they made it as though marriage was some sort of second tier thing for people with low spirituality. And they forgot the goodness of marriage and they forgot how imperfect a life of singleness can end up being. Singleness is far from a perfect reality. Um, As much as Paul extolled it, as much as Jesus lived it out, as, as we saw last week, as imperfect as marriage is, that doesn't mean that in the in the fallen world, there is some perfect ideal. Singleness certainly is not a perfect state and marriage is not a perfect state. Like marriage, singleness is an expression of the present age, right? The present age, the one we now live in, is a fallen age. We live in a time of sin and sickness and sadness. In the garden, God said it was not good that man should be alone. Singleness in our own day and time can reflect that imperfection that God saw. I think for the most part, people in our own day and time obsess much more over over romance, 
um, they think our problem is not that we that our our problem is not that we overvalue singleness; it's that we undervalue singleness. Um, look at the top ten. So- actually, don't look at the top ten songs on a- Apple Music or on Spotify charts. Um, you know, it used to be it used to be actually that the songs were romance songs. Uh, now they're more songs about dancing or physical activity, right? Um, but think of the ways that even if our music highlights sex more than it does romance, think of how much people still tell themselves that romance is going to help them, that romance is going to save them. Um, here's one misunderstanding, and it's pretty common. I want to address a few misunderstandings. Of singleness, we addressed two misunderstandings of marriage last week. Let's talk about two misunderstandings of singleness. Um, here's one: because it wasn't good for man to be alone. If someone is single, they're living an incomplete life, or they're not fully human in some way. Um, we know that this can't be true because Jesus was single all his life. Jesus never married, and yet he was a perfect expression of full humanity. Um, Think of Jesus. In Jesus' case, he was a single man, and yet he knew a life of fruitfulness, a, a life of fruitfulness that can't even be measured. Um, scripture tells us that he had all of these spiritual offspring in Isaiah 53. He never had physical children, and yet he had all of these offspring, according to the prophet Isaiah. If Jesus can be fully human, if Jesus can have spiritual children, if Paul can, can call different believers his spiritual children, his child in Christ, by discipling others in the faith, then you had better believe that singleness can be a state of great blessing. Singleness can be a state of fruitfulness and multiplying. Let me address a second misunderstanding. Here it is. Here it is. Um, singleness is a state of deprivation for people who need to grow closer to the Lord first. Um, Really, really, here's a core misunderstanding. This assumes that marriage is some kind of reward for greater holiness. And singleness is like a stopgap for those who need to learn closeness to God so that they can finally get married. But there, there isn't a necessary connection between singleness and holiness, right? Some of the unholiest people on earth are married. And some of the holiest people on earth are single. And some of the unholiest people on earth are single. And some of the holiest aren't. So we need to be careful of the mistake of constantly treating singleness as if it's some kind of detour on the way to the real destination, which is marriage. And we can do that in the, in the church, and we can do it very accidentally. Um, I know that we, we might think that it's a positive thing when we see a single person to strike up a conversation and ask them how their love life's going. Have you got, got somebody in mind? Are you pursuing some relationship? What's happening, you know? And um, the assumptions and the questions that those relate can actually be very painful to somebody who is single because they contain sort of an implicit assumption that something is wrong until the situation is remedied. The idea being, oh, well, everybody should be with somebody, and if you're not, then you're trying to be. Well, think about our our duty towards single people. We have a duty towards single people. Everyone around us has a scriptural duty to be contented with the situation that they're in. We need to be helping all believers to be contented with the place where they find themselves. And yet we can actually hugely discourage singles. And we do it very unintentionally. 
Think of, think of this. Uh, my first vehicle was a 1984 Ford Ranger with a stick shift. Um, just think of that vehicle. Uh, not exactly the finest car that I ever drove. And if you're not really good with a stick shift, really hard to drive. Um, if someone drives a 1984 Ford Ranger to church every week, they have a duty on one level to be contented with their 1984 Ford Ranger with a stick shift, right? Um, they need to be contented with what God has given them. But imagine every week that person pulls into church and as they come inside, every time you ask them, so when are you trading in your Ranger to get that F-150 Lightning? You would not be helping that person to be content with their situation. I, I think that we should think that way about singleness in, in the church as well. Um, we need to think well about singleness. I know we think we're encouraging somebody when we're constantly asking them about their relationship status, but we might not be. We may not be helping them. Um, there's a writer named Paige Benton Brown. She's got an article called Singled Out by God for Good. And she talks about this misunderstanding. And here's what she says. And she says this is a much healthier way of thinking about singleness. And I, I cannot help but agree with her. She says, I am not single because I am too spiritually unstable to possibly deserve a husband, nor because I am too spiritually mature to possibly need one. I am single because God is so abundantly good to me because this is his best for me. Third, we need to understand singleness as an expression of the overlap of the ages. Um, last week we saw that marriage is fleeting. We saw that marriage is imperfect. And we also mentioned the imperfection of, of singleness. It is an expression of the current fallen age that we live in. But singleness is also an expression of the age to come in a way that marriage isn't. Because singleness will be our state in heaven, according to Jesus, and marriage will not. This is very hard for us to believe as modern people. Uh, one of the most powerful contributions Sigmund Freud made to modern psychology, and if we could go even bigger, to the way that most people think about themselves today. Sigmund Freud made this contribution, which was that to teach that all people are ultimately sexual beings. And that our desires really are core to who we are. And, and Freud believed that sexual desire was the most fundamental thing that you could know about a person. And yet he is so wrong because that is not going to be the center, center of who we are in heaven. That's not going to be who we are. That's not going to define us. While we as Christians are, are usually very good about rejecting Freud and we, we want to militate against Freudian thinking we still unwittingly buy into Freud's most dangerous contribution, the idea that our sexual desires are really the core of who we are, that the person who denies their desires in this area is denying a part of themselves. But in biblical Christianity, marriage is a reality of life, but it doesn't define life and it doesn't define eternity. The culture follows Freud. They, they follow Freud in putting our desires at the center of our identities. But Christians are not Freudians. Freud was wrong. We're not defined by our desires. Our desires are fleeting. They change. They're not who we are. They don't form our identities. These things are, are fleeting. They are flimsy. They are shallow things to build our identities upon, aren't they? 
Marriage doesn't persist forever into eternity. It pictures the relationship of Christ and his church. And in that sense, marriage has its foot in both this age and the age to come. Uh, the, 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 the foot in the age to come is our relationship to Jesus and the picture of Christ and his church. But marriage is a part of the current world order as we reproduce and as we are fruitful and as we multiply. Singleness, on the other hand, is something that will confront even married people in this life and that will continue into heaven. It's actually important to see that I'm, I'm not saying that marriage is worldly and singleness is completely otherworldly. Singleness has one foot in the current world order and one foot in the world to come too. But we don't often think of singleness as something that prepares us for eternity, but in some sense it does. Here's the hard part for me as a pastor. Do I truly convey the goodness of marriage? How do I con- truly convey the goodness of marriage to you without tempting you to make an idol out of it? And how do I set before you the goodness and calling to singleness without tempting you to make an idol out of it? Um, in one sense, I can't do that and I can't control that, right? Human beings are always having this problem. We always find a good thing and we make it an ultimate thing. We always try to find good things and put it up on a pedestal. And so all I can really do is set both truths before you and warn you. Marriage is not ultimate. It goes away. Marriage is not perfect. It can fail us. We can't keep it. We ultimately have to say goodbye to one another. And I can remind you of this biblical truth that while you can lose your spouse, you will never lose Christ. While you may have found a spouse or you may never, for one reason or another, find a spouse, Christ has sought you out and found you. Jesus is meant to define and give meaning to all of his people in a way that we can never lose. John Piper was was preaching on this subject And uh, I came across his sermon after I wrote the sermon. I'm so glad I didn't want Piper steering everything I ended up saying. But I want to read you what, what Piper says. Listen to this. He says, I am not sentimentalizing singleness to make the unmarried feel good. I am declaring the temporary and secondary nature of marriage and family over against the eternal and primary nature of the church. Marriage and family are temporary for this age. The church is forever. I am declaring the radical biblical truth that being in a human family is no sign of eternal blessing, but being in God's family means being eternally blessed. Relationships based on family are temporary. Relationships based on union with Christ are eternal. Marriage is a temporary institution, but what it stands for lasts forever. In today's passage, Jesus talks about those who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of of heaven. Jesus is not telling us that his followers ought to sterilize themselves. Just as he never commanded us to literally remove our hands in our fight against sin. But he is telling us that he approves of believers renouncing marriage for the sake of serving God's people and devoting their life to God. He does approve of it. He is telling us that God's family is primary over human families. Jesus approves of that. Jesus approves of it. Paul approves of it. Not all can do this. In fact, most cannot do this. And yet Christ's church is that precious and that great. 
and that valuable. God calls us to love the family and to love the goodness of marriage. But are we willing to love his people more? Are we willing to love his church more? To give what it takes to bless it with our lives if we can. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we know that contentment is hard. But would you help us to seek it? Would you help us to have it for your sake? If we are single, would you make us useful to your people so that the gift we currently have can be used for your glory? That we might be fruitful and multiply your kingdom, which is not of this world. If we are married, would you make us fruitful within that context as well? In all things, O God, would you be paramount? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.